0: Peter, thank you for joining me today. Not at all. Pleasure. And the first question I have for you, how was your time in Clongos, and what are your memories
1: of it? I enjoyed my time in Clongos. It was a happy, happy six years for me. I enjoyed studying. And in Clongos, you had a very regular routine which allowed you to, to study. And I enjoyed sport. And again, the opportunities for sport in were very uh, were very good. So basically, I enjoyed my, uh, my time in Clangos. My memories of it are, I suppose my main memories are of, uh, of sport. I played soccer and rugby and cricket and I enjoyed them all. So when I'm thinking back now on it, uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's the sport that, uh, that I remember most. And cricket was your thing more than anything else was? I played a lot. Uh, Yeah, I played cricket. I played it uh, fairly well. Now I think cricket is not a sport that we should be playing in Ireland. Cricket's for warm, warm weather with lots of sun (laughs) in Ireland. Half the cricket (laughs) matches are washed out. Or they're played in cold, dreary climates. Uh, But I enjoyed it, I must say, yes.
0: Yeah. And uh, that's still hard on crease, you see them out there, there the other day, you see them out. It, it was kind of sunny, Peter, but it's still wintry and they're out in their whites last week playing. You just wonder exactly what you say. Why play cricket mm-hmm. in this weather, you know? And uh, the skills and things you might have learned in Klangos, I mean, you've taken men for others uh, very literally in
1: many ways. In Klangos, we were, I was a very privileged kid with a lot of other very privileged kids. And there was nothing to suggest that we should be challenging uh, our our mindsets, or that we should be looking to move out of our bubbles. Uh, That didn't happen in my day. It was Glasgow's was preparing us to become doctors and lawyers uh, and whatever. That was their objective. So the idea of men for others that only came later. But we went through school without any consciousness at all that uh, you know there were. There were people living in poverty, people on the margins, people who were struggling. That uh, that was that was we were we were uh, what would I say isolated from all that in Clongos, and there was no attempt made to break that isolation. So it was a very privileged existence, I must say, and we uh, we just acknowledged that we were privileged. And what was the moment that changed your perspective? It wasn't uh, anything in Clongos, I would say. <laughs> uh, I left Clongos a very pious, very conservative uh, young fella, uh, ready to get ahead in the world, like most of the people who go through Clongos or Blackrock or uh, Castlenock. Uh, what changed me was living for six years in the inner city of Dublin. Mm. That was a total uh, shock to my system. I, uh, I, I had to leave my comfort zone and I went to live and work amongst a community that was very deprived, very marginalized. The housing there was awful. It was old tenement buildings divided into flats for families, no soundproofing between flats. The flat we were in, we could listen to the news on the television in the flat below us perfectly clearly place was crawling with rats. Some of the houses had one outside toilet for the eight families. And uh, the unemployment rate was 80%. So young people growing up in the inner city had a very different experience to me growing up. But they didn't see any prospect of ever getting a job. And if you don't see it, you don't think you're ever going to get a job. What's the point of staying in school? Uh, so they were leaving school often by the age of 12 hanging around the streets all day long. Parents were unemployed, couldn't give them any money. So what were they doing? A little bit of robbing. And by the time they got to 16 and 17, they were doing an awful lot of robbing. They were going to jail. Now, that was a totally different existence, uh, childhood existence to, uh, to my childhood.
0: Yeah.
1: And I was shocked by that, but I was shocked by something even more. I was shocked by the fact that I had been living in Dublin for many years and I was totally unaware of the way people in the inner city were forced to live. And that my unawareness of that shocked me uh, even more than the conditions. And so those six years in the inner city before they demolished all that housing, those six years radicalized me. And so what I'm doing now, I can't attribute what I'm doing now to Congos at all. Mm. What I'm doing now, I attribute to the people in the inner city who. Uh, who taught me everything that I know, basically.
0: And how do you reconcile that kind of juxtaposition, Peter, that you weren't kind of made aware of that through the isolation you had? Is, you just move on or you just deal with it or do you begrudge it or you look back on it negatively or you weren't told the full facts of life? Or
1: No, I don't look back on it grudgingly or anything. Uh, I think nowadays there is more of an effort made to help young people appreciate that there are other people who are not nearly as privileged as they are. So they have social placements now. Some of the kids in Klangos come to to us for a week uh, to work with with homeless people. And uh, there is a focus on being men for others. That didn't happen when I was there, but it is happening now. And it's a small step in the right direction. At least uh, young people leaving school now in Clangos. Can't say they were. They're unaware of the uh, existence of the, of deprived uh, communities and uh, marginalised people. What they do about it then is a different matter. But they certainly can't say they're they're not aware of it anymore. Yeah. And of course, with the media, I mean homelessness now is just so dominant in the media. You can't miss it. You can't go through life. or uh, go through clungos. Unaware that there is a massive, massive homeless problem out there, that people are sleeping on the streets, that people have no hope really of, in the short term, of getting anywhere to live. So that awareness now is, is much more real today than it was then. Back when I was in families, there were probably a thousand homeless people in Ireland, most of whom were invisible, elderly men who had worked in England all their lives or had been in the army all their lives, and uh, came back from England, knew no, had no contact with family, knew nobody here, and they were homeless, usually with an alcohol problem. Whereas today, now, there's 12,000 people who are homeless, uh, probably another 12,000 who are homeless, but not registered as homeless, and they include people from all walks of life. They include elderly people, they include people who had very good jobs people who had very good homes but lost them either through uh, gambling or through alcohol or through drugs. Uh, So today the awareness of homelessness as uh, something that can affect a much wider range of people than back in the 1950s, uh, that that awareness uh, certainly exists.
0: And at what stage in your time there, for example, did you realise you had a vocation? Because you have done this vocation, you may not have stumbled upon this issue and gone to be some professional as you were kind of rigidly taught you were going to be. Was
1: that a fifth year? Yeah, thing? you come to. Uh, I think you you uh, you come to decide on priesthood the same way as you decide other vocation. To yeah. be honest, uh, you know when I was going through Clonmel's, yeah, my my father was a doctor, so the obvious path for me to follow was to become a doctor. My brother became a doctor. My two brothers became doctors. Uh, But I thought also maybe I'd become a dentist. Uh, And now, thank God, I didn't. (laughs) I would hate to spend my whole day looking into people's mouths. Uh, Or maybe I would become a lawyer. (laughs) But priesthood was an option. Mm. I think my father was a doctor, as I say. And I got a sense of service from my father. Uh, I would often hear him being phone, a phone going in the middle of the night. My father would get up, go out and see his patients, come back, and I never once complained. So I think I got a sense of service from my father and a sense of faith from my mother. My mother was a Welsh Protestant yeah. who converted to Catholicism in order to marry my father. Yeah. Because back then, in the 40s, if a Catholic married a Protestant, they were destined to go to hell, bro. Yeah. So to save my father that fate, my mother became a Catholic. And like many converts, became more Catholic than the Catholics themselves. Yeah. So I got a sense of faith from my mother, a sense of service from my father. So when I was thinking what was I going to do, I think unconsciously maybe, or subconsciously, I wanted to be of service to others, just in a faith context. Yeah. And becoming a priest was a, was one way of doing that. Uh, and because the only priests I knew were Jesuits, I said, well, I'll try this lot and see how it works out. And if it doesn't work out, well, I'll go off and become a doctor. <laughs> uh, so I joined the Jesuits uh, at 18. They wouldn't take him now at 18, but I joined the Jesuits at 18. And I must say, I've never, ever regretted it. Never looked back. It's been wonderful. And did your father go to Congress? He did. So it's a- and my uncle? Own- and my uncle went to Columbus. He was also a doctor. His three children became doctors. They were all living in Uri, a small little town at that time. Yeah, There was a time when you couldn't get a doctor in Uri who wasn't called Dr. McMurray. <laughs> and then um, if you the, the part you did
0: in the, to see the homeless and the poor, that was part of your early Jesuit training, was it? Was it a vicious no, it
1: wasn't even there. The... The idea of being a man for others or the idea of uh, the option for the poor hadn't really uh, entered into the consciousness of the Irish church at that stage. It was coming in the 1970s, uh, came from Latin America. The option for the poor became a, became something, a priority really for parts of the church anyway. Mm. But that's when, that's when my conversion took place. It was in the 1970s when I went to the inner city, right through the 50s and in through the 60s when I was in Clangos, and then in the early training with the Jesuits. Uh, no, that option for the poor wasn't uh, wasn't on the, on the agenda, It really. came in the 1974, and that was the same year that I went to live and work in Summer, in Summer Hill in the inner city. The option for the poor was coming from Latin America, and uh, <clears throat> was becoming a uh, into the Irish Church, who uh, felt that they needed to do something for for those who were more marginalised, and so it was coincidental, and it was uh, it was uh, coincidental and sort of fortunate mm. that that experience of mine going into the inner city coincided with this dimension of church ministry, the option for the poor.
0: Mm. You must look back on what you've done with a certain sense of achievement, or the breakthrough was something you must reflect on proudly,
1: you know? Well, I wouldn't call it an achievement. In the 1970s, when I started, there were, as I say, about a 1,000 homeless people in Ireland. Now there's about 12,000, and another 12,000 were not registered, so that's hardly much of an achievement. (laughs) But, uh, no, I look back, and I'm very glad to have done what I've done. If I was starting all over again, I would do exactly the same. I think what Clangos did for me was gave me a very good education, of course, a very well-rounded education, a love of sports, uh, and that all helped uh, in terms of uh, working in marginalised communities as well.
0: Yeah, I suppose achievement is the wrong word, but what your work you've done is Mm -hmm. an achievement in the capital A. I mean... uh... It's a 12,000 now. You've helped an awful lot of people uh, during that time as well. So, in that sense, I meant the positive stuff.
1: Sure, I I know that. Yeah, Yeah. I know that. (laughs) I I know you're
0: very humble. (laughs) You don't like praise (laughs) and all that, Peter. So, you know, uh, but take it when it's the work you've done is is tremendous. And is there an outstanding memory you have of your first day or one thing that uh, rings? in your mind when you talk about when you started there? Obviously, you had a family there, so you're probably familiar with the place?
1: Somewhat. I, I was lucky. Myself and my older brother, he was a year older than me. We both started at the same time. Right. So we went in, and that was probably a great help, that you weren't on your own. Yeah. At least you had your brother there with you. So whatever homesickness you may have felt was mitigated by the fact that your your brother was was there with you. So my first memory, yeah, it's a huge, this is a huge, big institutional building. It's very far removed from a small family home. Mm. And but you just at 12 years of age, you just get on with it. You know? yeah.
0: And it was yeah. a long way in those days from Newry as it was even from it was Dublin.
1: A, it was a long way from Newry. Now, luckily, my family had a car. They were able to come down and visit me uh, maybe a couple of times during the, the term. In those days, we never got home except at Christmas and Easter and uh, uh, and the summer holidays. Mm. Uh, today, they get home every about four weeks or something. Yeah, they come home every
0: weekend. at this stage, just like a day school yeah. compared to those days. And,
1: and we June, were never allowed outside to the college grounds. Absolutely. <clears throat> today, I think we. Uh, I remember we uh, on, on one day off we sneaked into into Nace uh, to have a meal there. Wow. That's <laughs> but brave. I think if we had been caught, we probably yeah. would have been expelled. <laughs> Nace is <laughs> so very they go, brave. Now they, can go, now they can go anywhere they want. <laughs> Nace is <laughs> very, very brave, different. yeah. I mean, it's Claim was as much as we yeah. did, yeah.
0: Claim was even adventurous in my times, yeah.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, Absolutely. Um, so I remember I brought some kids from the inner city down to travel a couple of times. We used the swimming pool and that. And one of them, their reaction was uh, when you told them that there were sort of 360 young young kids living here, their first reaction was, what did they do wrong that the court sent them here? <laughs> they uh, couldn't possibly imagine any young person uh, leaving their family home and coming to live in a place like this. Amazing. So,
0: uh, amazing.
1: And is there a piece of music
0: that you uh, think of or here, it th- remind you of those days or not?
1: Uh, no, there wasn't. wasn't really. Uh, we were never a music family, mm. so music wasn't a big thing for us. Uh, uh, I mean, I would, uh, I would listen to music sometimes on the radio or that, but no, there were. We, we were. I was never. Uh, I was never uh, attracted to or attached to uh, any particular music genre or any particular music songs. It, music for me was a background distraction, really, mm. uh, which I enjoyed, but which I wasn't going to uh, uh, going to spend an awful lot of time on. Yeah. You know, so I don't have any songs or music that uh, that uh, I, I, I associate with those. And you go back now without
0: with kids or without the kids, or go back on your own, and and gender any feelings
1: or memories. Oh, it does, yeah, it does. you spent six years of your life there at a very formative stage. Uh, so it does. It's, uh, there's a bit of nostalgia there. Yeah. Uh, you see the old buildings or and the new buildings. What we call the new building is now the old building. Yeah. <laughs> so you see the, uh, yeah, you come back to the place where you gave six years of your life to. And that's, uh, yeah, That's that's moving. But I've moved on. Uh, I'm not, if, uh, what would I say about Clangos? I think boarding school is good for some kids. There were some kids in, in when I was there who were very unhappy in, in Yeah, uh, They were bullied. They, they were very, very unhappy. Uh, so I would always feel now that if somebody was asking me, I would I'd never advise any parent to send their child to boarding school mm-hmm. unless there were specific reasons like, you know, they work abroad and um, the child isn't fitting in maybe to a uh, local school. But I would discourage parents from sending children to a boarding school, even though I enjoyed it. I got a lot out of it. But I would still discourage it. And the other thing I would think is, you know, we need really to burst this bubble that most of the pupils in say uh, live in. Now, there is a scholarship scheme there, and that's terrific. I agree. I, there is a uh, experiences during their transition year where they go out and work in uh, communities maybe that are marginalised or work with uh, other people who are in need, and that's great as well. But I think for a Jesuit school, uh, you know, I think we should be aiming at 50% uh, private pupils and 50% pupils from uh, lower social uh, and economic groups so that there's a mix there and that people from different social groups get to know one another, get to like one another, get to appreciate one another's values and one another's gifts. Uh, Now, that would be very hard to do in Tiangos because it's a boarding school. Mm. But uh, I am not in favor of of a school that exists primarily for privileged young people like myself. Yes,
0: you would look back and say it's kind of elitist uh, and doesn't have a place now, I think.
1: What we are doing in those boarding schools, private boarding schools, is we're perpetuating social class. Yeah. Uh, And and so uh, I think that is very unfair for those who do not have the money to send their children to a private school. I think if we, by sending their children to a private school, we're sort of giving them a head start in life. Mm. Uh, uh, but giving those kids a head start in life means that other kids, who can't go to a fee-paying school, uh, are starting life with a dis- with a disadvantage. So, on justice grounds, I would be very opposed to Jesuits or anybody running uh, schools for uh, fee-paying schools for those who can afford them.
0: Mm. And if you just to sum up, what you say is very true. I mean. The, the, the school is trying to find its future, even though the Hotaro program does an awful lot of good. But you're right. And if you just sum up your time there, is it the balanced good or
1: bad, Peter? My time there? Yeah. Oh, it was great. Great. It was great. I loved it. Mm. And that's the thing about Clambo and other fee paying schools. The, the, you know, us privileged kids, we get a very good edu- education in clubs. I got a very good education in clubs. I got a whole range of sports to uh, just outside the front door <laughs> that you could uh, engage in. You got a very well-rounded education. There were debating societies. There were all sorts of societies and uh, other groups where you could learn skills. Uh, no, it played. I have to admit, uh, I'm willing to admit you know, Klamos gives young people a very, very good education.
0: And would uh, you be concerned well, now that there's less Jesuits involved in the maintaining the ethos? Just through natural.
1: Well, I don't know. I think I think, uh, I think the, there's a board of management. I think the ethos uh, can be uh, can be implemented and maintained through the actions of the Board of Management, um, who they who they employ as teachers, who they employ as supervisors. No, I wouldn't be particularly worried about that. Uh, I think this sense of trying to educate young people to be men for others, I think that's still very strong in Clangos, mm. uh, though it's very limited in uh, in what Clangos can do. But uh, no, I wouldn't be too worried about that at all, no. That's not it. That wouldn't be an issue.
0: But you do think that it needs to do more to make sure people are exposed to the things you have seen, if not exactly what you've seen, to be conscious that the bubble is only in Klangos there's other things around the world that need to be addressed.
1: Yeah, what what our schools do and what Jesuit schools everywhere do is uh, they send their pupils out to marginalized communities to be there and work there for a certain period of time. Uh, And I think that's great. But what are we doing? We're actually using marginalized communities in order to to develop a young person's uh, consciousness. Mm -hmm. I don't think we can do that. There's a limit to how many young people in Clangos you can send into marginalized communities without without the the marginalized communities feeling that they're sort of... uh, what would I call it that they're the they're they're being experimented on by these mm. young people coming in to get an experience. Rather than having those young 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 people in Congress going out to marginalized communities. I would much prefer marginalized communities to come into the school, to be educated in the school. Mm. As I say, it's difficult in a boarding school uh, because obviously the costs of boarding are are very uh, are very high. Uh, but I would love to see that in Belvedere. I'd love to see 50% of the pupils coming from the inner city. Belvedere is an inner city kid. I'd love to see 50% of the pupils there coming from the inner city and 50% being free pay. Yeah, And About- Gonzaga is a bit difficult as well because you know, because of its location. You'd have to bus in the kids from poorer areas because there aren't any kids from poorer areas anywhere near to Gonzaga. But that would be my dream for a Jesuit education, that it would be an integrated education. We talk about integrated education in the north of Ireland, meaning Catholics and Protestants uh, educated together so they get to know one another, get to appreciate one another's cultures uh, and get to respect one another. I'd be talking about integrated education down here, meaning we bring different social groups together into the educational system so that people from each social group gets to know the young people from another social group gets to appreciate them, to value them, uh, and to respect them. That's what I would like to see for the educational system down here.
0: Do you think that will happen?
1: No. You're pessimistic. Why? (laughs) Well, it's not going to happen because supposedly at a school that was 50% private and 50% uh, uh, say, inner city kids, I suspect a lot of the parents of the private kids take them out and put them into another school. (laughs) Mm. it's hard to figure
0: out uh, what the solution would be but you're right I think it's hard to be optimistic that it will happen
1: well, yeah. we don't give up our privileges very easy none of us do we well, uh, you know and if going to a fee paying school gives somebody that head start in life as I say parents are not going to give that up are not going to risk giving that up in any way so if the school is an integrated school they'll send them to some other fee paying school that isn't integrated for fear that uh, you know that uh, it, it, the head start might be might be might be reduced. So I think we we all those of all of us who are privileged we find it very hard to give up our privileges, uh, and that's uh, that is a problem.
0: Peter McBerry, thank you much very much for your time. My pleasure. I'll talk.